Well welcome, I hope you've had a great week and uh, we're going to be exploring this week uh, the concept of compassion and uh, this is really dear to me I think. This was a lesson that, um, that would always strike me as a challenging one to learn and, uh, and I guess at 21 years of age I had had a bit of a rough old time in the previous six months and had come out of a relationship that was, uh, had really, I'd lost my self-esteem, I'd lost my self-image, I'd kind of lost myself altogether and, um, and so I'd come about the, the situation where I needed somewhere to live, I didn't have any cash reserves, I didn't have any close family or network around me so I was feeling very very alone and um, someone had recommended an agency that you could go and do some live-in, some care work and, um, and of course that's how I came about looking after elderly people and the first job that I got I looked after Olive and, um, and Olive really started to help to teach me this, this concept of compassion and uh, Olive had um, some real challenges with um, memory and certainly short-term and, and long-term memory. Um, she lived in this incredible um, house that was in a very affluent part of London and um, she didn't have any family that could look after her regularly. She had a daughter who would visit her but the daughter was going away for the weekend and so she was part of this agency and uh, she would have regular uh, care workers come in and ensure that you know Olive was safe in her house and, and all this type of thing so it seemed pretty um, exciting I'd done my training and I understood um, you know from a basic level that these people could mostly look after themselves they might need a bit of lifting um, toileting feeding and uh, and so it was a bit of an adventure for me you went and lived in these people's homes and so when I moved in with Olive um, we, our first night she was um, talking about all sorts of exciting things but one of the most exciting thing that she would talk about was the fact that she got very very scared at night and she needed her, her kangaroo which was her, her favourite stuffed toy and me being Australian I'd understand why kangi was so important to her and if she didn't have kangi then she couldn't sleep at all and um, you know this this feeling of whatever I had to do, I didn't know where this um, this animal, this stuffed animal was, I didn't even know if it existed, but I understood that I needed to act without fear and without putting a filter um, because it was real for her. And so anyway, I ended up, I did find this um, this kangaroo and, um, and she was so excited that I'd found it and I, I started asking her more about herself and her story of, of what was important to her and she said well of course tomorrow when we're at the party you'll get to meet all of my friends and um, because this lady was you know I'd been told that certainly she had troubles with her short and long-term memory I went on with it for a while but actually now she started to be talking as if we were actually going to a party and I called the agency and they said well, they didn't have any record that we were going out and I said, well, is there rules against that? And they said, well, I don't know, you know, like the daughter should have said something if there was a party. Well, sure enough, she gave me a telephone number of a friend of hers and she said, if we ring him, he'll send a car and he'll pick us up for the party. And um, so anyway, I thought, what an adventure, you know, maybe we'll get to go to a party. And she was talking about how affluent she was. Now, she lived, as I said, in a very, very wealthy part of London. And so um, this party was going to be... Um, you know near Mayfair like all the places that were mentioned on the Monopoly board were all the places she was talking about and so for me 
I thought, wow, Park Road and Mayfair and, you know, she had all of the all of the names really clear and I thought, well, you know, what's the harm? And so I called the number and I introduced myself and, and explained that I was the carer who looked after um, this lady. And he said, of course, I would love to send a car for you. In fact, what if I escort you and I will be Olive's date? And, um, and she blushed and she said, oh, I've just, you know, when I hung up, she said, I love him. He's just one of my, he's the, the most um, adoring gentleman in my life at the moment. Um, you know, but of course he had his own girlfriend and, and that she was a real threat and you know, it was just gorgeous to get like caught up in this whole life of somebody else. And um, so anyway, the party was from um, two until four and uh, I loved that, you know, it was just two hours. To me that was just, um, it was fabulous. You entertained for two hours and this was quite normal. And um, the Crown Prince of Egypt was to be there and there was some other people on the guest list that I was quite excited to be involved in. And so here I was having this experience that to me was just, it was so far out of my reality because, you know, I'd just been the most depressed that I'd ever been and, and feeling really frustrated and, and challenged with life. And here I was about to... Um, get ready to go to this party and of course she wanted to wear a frock that she um, was her favourite frock and when I found it it had stains that were all down the front of it. Somebody had obviously um, not washed it and so you know this was we started to get ready from seven o'clock on Saturday for a, for a party that was at two o'clock and um, she said well I have to wear stockings of course I need stockings so, you know the crown prince of Egypt's going to be there we need stockings and I looked everywhere we didn't she didn't have any clothes someone had cut all of her um, you know her um, pantyhose off at the knees and so they were all just you know, hanging around her feet and she she wanted nail polish and she wanted to look fabulous and you know who was I to deny her of this experience and so I said, well, you know what, we can go out. Come on, you must have a wheelchair somewhere. Let's, let's go to the shop. And so we decided, she hadn't been out, she said in, I don't know how long, but let's imagine that it was a very long time. And so this wheelchair, you know, we dusted it off and, and what little did I know that the, um, the tyres weren't exactly pumped up very well. And um, if the tyres aren't pumped up, it's actually quite challenging to, to um, take somebody out in a wheelchair. And so these were all new adventures that I'd never had before. And uh, the shop wasn't too far away, maybe five blocks. And, uh, and so we spent an hour and I bought her some nail polish and some, um, some stockings, some proper knee-high stockings that would stay up, um, hopefully, and um, some stain remover so I could kind of try to get um, the dress clean. And uh, it's been so long since I told this story, I'm getting excited even just thinking about it. Because you know when you're in the moment and you're just acting from a place that is of pure excitement and pure joy, and you don't care about the consequences. Like I didn't think about what her daughter might have said when we got home. I wasn't thinking about anything. I was just enjoying the fact that she was so excited and so happy. And the previous night, you know, when she was holding on to Kangi and, and she said, you know, what if I die tonight? What if I die? What will you do? And, and she had this scared look in her eyes. And I was saying, well, you're not going to die because we've got the party. And I wanted to make that day just so exciting and such a memory for her. And, um, you know, so it was, it was really challenging that, you know, for me, that I understood that this whole notion of compassion is acting without thought. 
And, you know, for me, it, sometimes people have called me irresponsible or that, you know, I'm rash or that I, I make decisions very, very quickly and I act too fast. But when you're doing things from a place of joy and you're acting very quickly, it's also known as compassion. And now with a lot of litigation and a lot of, um, you know, fear on the planet and everybody worried about what everyone else will think, we tend to have lost this empowerment tool, what we call compassion which is that you will act and you won't worry about the consequences because the consequences provided you're doing the right thing will look after themselves and uh, and that was the energy that we were really running on and uh, so we got home and you know um, she needed to have a rest before um, uh, before the party and so you know I set about making sure that I could um, you know this dress just seemed to me just way way too big and you know there were lots of different adjustments that I wanted to make so she was, as she was resting I was enjoying you know getting ready and making her some snacks and, and preparing dinner so we got home that that was all ready and when she um, when she woke up you know obviously it took us an hour to, to get dressed and, and, and get ready and, uh, and the, the end result was just, to me, it was just the most hysterical thing I'd seen because obviously Olive had been quite a, a larger lady, but as she um, got older and older, as, you know, she lost a lot of weight. And so this dress was just so big, but we found this gold belt and we tied it around, which meant that then I could sort of hide where the stains were down the front of her dress and um, you know she did she insisted on doing her own lipstick and it was bright bright red like cherry red um, but it wasn't exactly in the lines and um, and the powder that she put on was there was just too much powder but you know who was I once again to get in the way of her experience and um, and when our gentleman friend came to pick us up you know he just admired her he was like all of you just look so beautiful look at you we're so honored that you're going to join us this afternoon and he just made her feel like an absolute queen and that she was going to be the highlight of this party and all the time I'm thinking who is this lady like what did she do where did this wealth come from and uh, of course she 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 couldn't remember she didn't really tell the, sto the story she was just excited that all these people um, adored her and loved her and so off we went in this private chauffeur driven car and we arrived at this house that was absolutely incredible now it was it looked to be like a um, a four level um, terraced home that we came to on on um, Park Road and Mayfair and um, and there were lots of people that were arriving at, at that time and you know we arrived and there was the um, grand piano that was being played and um, we decided we'd sit just near the piano so we could listen to the music and um, you know Olive everyone's walking up and saying how beautiful Olive looks and how wonderful it was that you know she was able to come and so I was being introduced the whole time to this incredible um, like network of people that you know we were talking the as upper class as you can imagine in England and of course I didn't know that we were going to this party and I didn't really have anything formal to wear but I'd done the best that I could but I felt completely inappropriate because everyone was was dressed up to the you know to the nines and uh, the people who um, probably got the greatest amount of humor were all the wait staff now the wait staff were Australians and Kiwis and South Africans that worked for agencies and they were um, waiting on us 
And so, you know, there was this guy who said, where are you from? And I said, Brisbane, and I'm here with this lady. He's like, oh, my God, well, we'll make sure that, you know, we get all the food to you and you, you certainly you have as much champagne as you want because it's really good stuff. And, you know, so I was having, and he said, come out to the kitchen if you, if you need anything. So I excused myself and, and I went out and was telling them what I was doing and we were having, having a laugh. And they said, oh, well, you see how you go with the, you know, the boys from Eton. And the Eton College boys were there, you know, told by their, by their mothers to attend these functions for eligible uh, young ladies, certainly of which I would not have been one. But it was just this experience that I wouldn't have had unless, and that's the point that I want to make, is that you're going to have experiences in life when you follow this sense of compassion. Now, it, to this day, it was one of the funniest experiences because I came back in time to see Olive, you know, take a, a pawn and she put it in from the tail end and she was holding on to the flesh of the pawn and, um, and I just grabbed a napkin straight from the waiter and I said, mm, and I put it underneath and she spat out, she said, gee, the food could do, it's not very good food. And, um, and I was like, you're right, no, that's not good. And I looked down and here she had her stained dress on and her, her stockings had rolled down around her ankles, you know, everything we'd tried hadn't worked and, and, um, and she was glowing. She just absolutely loved it and uh, we got to meet the, um, the Prince of Egypt um, on a lineup as we were leaving and, um, and it was just wonderful to be able to be around this environment and feel what it is that these people felt and coming from a very, very middle class um, Australian background to be, you know, put in a situation where I went straight to the upper classes and was treated with gratitude. Um, grateful that I'd gone to the effort to be able to include Olive in, in this celebration and, and um, be available to be able to give her this experience. And, um, you know, when we went home, it was just so much fun to talk about some of the experiences that she'd had. And what was more incredible is then, you know, she woke up in the night and she had no memory whatsoever of, of who I was or, or what was happening and the next day she was very grumpy at me and, and she was saying, you know, I can't believe that they make me take in boarders. You know, it's hard enough I have to look after myself without cooking for you and cleaning for you and she was in such an angry, um, sad place and it was very confusing for her. And, um, you know, and I was able to just sit with her and just, you know, give her a cup of tea and she had no memory of, of what had taken place. and. You know, for me, I understood that I had to be compassionate then in that moment and to understand what it must be like to be so confused and so challenged and, and what was she needing right then and how could I act right then? Because for her family, when her daughter came back and I, I talked to them, the challenge that she experienced was that she, she'd lost the energy to be able to create those moments because the bitterness or the challenge that came after that when there was no memory of those things and there was no gratitude that was underneath that and sometimes it takes a stranger to come in and, and with compassion to be able to create something that's new and that's fresh but not only did it help Olive on that day it really helped me and that was a good day you know it was a good day for everybody you know what are you doing with compassion that can help other people you know, that, that experience completely prepared me um, for the next job that I went on and I, and, and I looked after Mr Zollinger and I recognised from the moment that I walked in there that there was fresh energy that was needed with this gentleman. I mean, with 13, I was the 13th carer 
and nobody was listening, nobody had compassion to understand if there was action that needed to be taken. You know, the, the people that were coming in to clean his house weren't cleaning very well. Uh, the housekeeper wasn't necessarily cooking nutritious meals or enjoying it. Um, the gardener wasn't loving what he was doing and, and was very much treated uh, you know, in, in that manner and the carer um, that they'd had was, was a horrible, horrible lady. And uh, it took me two seconds to really you know, sum up when she was training me. I thought that you are the last person that I would want near me. This is not an adventure. This has become like a, a sterile environment that is um, that's like a hospital. And that's not the environment that is conducive to having any kind of compassion and any kind of joy. And I think it was within, within 24 hours that, um, that I took over that, you know, I really got to laugh and, and be able to understand that I could laugh at myself, you know, and we were at dinner and, um, you know, he was, he was bitter. He was very, very resentful at, at what had happened in his life and how it had unfolded. And his only entertainment was picking on the carers, you know, picking on his staff making sure that everyone was miserable around him because he was as miserable as he could possibly be. And with compassion, you're able to break through that energy. And, you know, that was all I ever used, was understanding that it was very challenging to be compassionate sometimes. Sometimes you didn't want to be compassionate. You wanted to put people in order or you wanted to correct situations. But how is that going to help anybody or anything? You know, so when I reached over for, um, to get something and I, I knocked over this, um, I think it was a bowl of lollies or, and they went on the floor. And, um, and he said, oh, well, that would be right. You know, Australian, you know, culture, you don't know how to, you know, conduct yourself in public. And I said, you're absolutely right, you know, and thank goodness if this is the result. You know, no, in Australia, if I knock something off, I, everyone kind of helps and scrambles around to help to, you know, put it right again and have a laugh. You know, what's, what's going on, you know? If this is the way that you've ended up and you are this miserable and, you know, at 21, I've just come out of this relationship and I am this miserable, do you think together we could figure out what you should have done to make things better? You know, do you think you could teach me to have culture, to be able to understand the world a bit better? Maybe you could be my teacher. You know, he looked me in the eye and he said, we'll start tomorrow. And it was a turning point. It was a turning point, but it came from compassion. It wasn't the right thing to do. It wasn't the thing I'd been educated to do. It was just what sprung up out of me, which was if we're gonna have this experience, then surely this has to be smoother. Surely this could be better not just for you but it could be better for me you know and that started a process that I believe not only molded me and shaped me but it challenged me to the next level you know he was a barrister he understood the power of thinking he understood his mind he could control his mind he was a child prodigy he didn't speak until he was four and the first thing that he ever said was his sister said you know one and one is two Freddie and he said if you say it is and that's the first thing he ever said. And everyone looked around and started laughing. And he said, it wasn't that I wasn't talking. He said, I didn't have anything to say. And he could remember as a child, recognizing in himself that he was ready to talk and he was ready to learn. And he went on and studied. And, he, and within, I think, two years, he knew five languages fluently. 
and he was sent to France where he could have the most advanced schooling as a young Swiss boy to be able to get ahead in terms of um, knowledge and understanding. And, uh, you know, and that's where he got tuberculosis. And when he would talk about he getting tuberculosis of the eyes and them putting needles directly into his eyes and he'd scream with pain and he'd be crying as if it was happening to him right now. And so there was a lot of caring and nurturing to be able to understand what his life was like and to listen with compassion and imagine what that must have been like um, as a little boy away from your parents, away from your home, not living in the country you were born in, expected to be able to cope. Um, but because you're infectious and you weren't allowed to, to be near. But the great gift of being able to learn all these languages and have teachers. And by sitting and understanding and, and taking the time uh, to listen, and he was saying, well, then, you know, if you had compassion, you would give me morphine and I would be able to die. And I said, well, I'm not going to kill you because that's murder and I'd go to jail. And he says, well, I'll pay you, I'll pay you. And you can do it in such a way that, you know, he used to conjure up all this, you know, ability that we could fake this whole thing and he could, he could die. And I'd be like, absolutely not. And he would cry at me and scream at me and say, you have no compassion. You don't understand what compassion is. And I was like, I went and got a dictionary and I looked it up. And it said, you act without the fear of consequence in the Oxford Dictionary and I said well you're right I have no compassion for you then because my consequence of my life and ending up in jail I'm not interested in that end you know I'm here to care for you that is what my role is so it's an end of discussion we're not going down this path and he would he would use this as a tool against me to get me to look at it and think about it and say why am I not compassionate I'm not compassionate because I'm not going to take away uh, his experience by you know and he'd have studies on euthanasia and he'd written articles on it and make me read them and understand it and where in the world we could go we could go to Darwin Australia and then he could choose to take his life because it was legal there or you know what could we do but only if he was healthy enough to get on a plane and you know we had enough money but we couldn't fly that distance and uh, it was just the most incredible experience to for him to use the tool of which instilled in me was that I was a compassionate person and he turned it around and made out as if I wasn't compassionate and it was something I struggled with for the next decade. He'd convinced me in my thoughts that I was not a compassionate person because I was always reverse engineering the result that I wanted and therefore I wasn't acting with compassion. And you know he was right, that's what I was doing. I was so focused on my outcomes and where I wanted to be that I thought that I wasn't acting with compassion. And so now when I look back on it and realize it, it was with compassion that I was putting up with these arguments and allowing him to play out his life the way that it needed to be played out and giving him the gift of forgiveness and teaching him um, how to communicate back, not just with himself, but to his staff, um, to be able to give to charities, to be able to have Christmas dinners and parties and open up his house and have laughter there and enjoyment and fun again um, to the point that you know a year and a half later without a doubt he was the most significant man in my entire life he molded me taught me how to think to the point where when we would um, have debates he would start to rank me at seven or eight for my level of thinking out of ten and my whole goal was to get over five for that first twelve months and you know he would compliment me on my thinking ability and my ability to be able to listen 
and that was really the key that he taught about debating. It wasn't about thinking about the argument that you were going to come up with. It was about listening compassionately to the person who was speaking. Now he never said it in those words but that's what I understood was that when I listened to him and his argument that he put forward, when I was able to rebut and formally address his situation, I then shifted my point of view to his point of view until I could feel that I had resonance there and then I could state my case further to that. And then he would be able to have one more rebut, but you could tell that I'd already won the argument because I'd started to sway the discussion. What a gift. You know, that is a lost art and I think that, you know, when we understand how our schooling's done now and it's very much done on bell curves and, and, and making sure people are in norms and, and averages and statistics and excited about getting 51% because if they got 100% they'd be wasting their time studying. It's, it's lost the whole, like, purpose of education, of, of learning the thrill to be able to understand more and be more secure and more confident in your in your knowledge gives you more compassion for more people because you have more information available to you. And that's what I'd always understood university was. It was a place to be able to stretch and um, challenge my thinking. And that wasn't the experience that I got. So it excited me to be in a place where I had my own mentor I had my own coach who was patient with me, who was compassionate to my causes, who could listen to me and really mould me in my thinking and make me strong based on what I believed about myself to be true. But not only that, encouraged me then to go and see the world and have eyes of compassion. And so for six months we debated back and forward, you know, is the world religious based or is it science based? You know, and coming from a, a country where it's not um, polite to talk about religion and, and it's not polite to talk about our, our feelings about politics and things like that, for him to then spend the next six months explaining to me what all the issues of, you know, Ulster and the Unionists and Sinn Féin and, and what the issues in Northern Ireland really were and, and how they began and, and how they were developing and have my own private master to be able to, you know, every single week I'd say, I don't understand again, can we start again? And he'd be patient. He'd say, okay, so we'll go right back to the beginning and, and why the unionist movement began and this is what the discussions were and we'd look at it from every different angle until we had compassion for both sides and we could see that they were both right on both sides, people that are very strong in science and believe in Darwinism and, and they, they see that it's a science-based world, that it's about the Big Bang Theory and, and very, very clear with how atoms are developed and, and into um, chemists and, and um, neurophysics and understanding quantum mechanics and, and that is the way they see the world is that it has to be science-based. They have to believe that and having compassion for those people that that is true for them. And that is a very valid, valid point of view. But then traveling the world and, and with compassion, looking at the people on the pilgrimages. We went to a place in Toledo where the women um, had bleeding knees as they were doing their pilgrimages to pray for their sick relatives. And they believed that when they did this pilgrimage that they'd done all they could for their sick relative. And a miracle would happen and their sick relative would become healthy again because they had done a pilgrimage and they believed in their faith so much 
that they had called forth this incredible healing energy and it had worked. How can you not have compassion and understanding that that is true? And so what he taught me was that we can, we can live in a world where we can have both. We can understand both parts of a discussion and that we can have compassion for any culture on any place and we can attend a mosque and be as respectful and understanding that it's true for the people that believe in that religion as it is when we visit St Paul's Cathedral or we go to Vatican City and we know that people that are Roman Catholic believe in this church and believe in the hierarchy that's in it and it's important for them to believe in those dogma and the, and the, and the way that they are um, having their rituals and, and how it works as you progress through the church. It's very important for Christians to know that you know Jesus did what he did and that gives them the strength to do what they need to do. You know, it's not your job to take away and disempower people by knowledge that you've gained that can then be used as like a sword of destruction. Your job in being compassionate is to be able to, to act and react in a way that is of benefit and serving that person that's in front of you. And that's what I learned, you know, and when I finally learned this and, uh, and I realised that with compassion maybe I'd held my teacher there until I was ready to let him go and we talked about it and I said I think you're ready to go I think it's me I think you're staying here for me now you know all that time you wanted to to die and then I didn't want you to die and then now I've learned what I need to learn what can I now do to serve you you know and it was amazing within three days he'd passed and to be there with compassion and to accept what a journey that was. It gave me an understanding that with love you can do anything and you have the power to create and the power to give experience. So I want you to go forward this week and with compassion look at people, listen to people, create new experiences for people, just act without consequence and see what happens, see what ripples are created and become an empowered person, a person that is um, creating experiences for others so that you too can, you know, reminisce on your life and think, wow, you know, not only did I um, leave a spark in Olive's life, she left a spark in mine. And enjoy the process. Bye. This presentation is designed for educational and informational purposes only. The workshop materials and presenters information contained within in no way provide legal, tax or investment advice to participants. The information presented is designed to provide participants with reference material towards creating the success they desire. Unauthorised copying, public performance, broadcasting and renting of this material in whole or in part is strictly prohibited. If you would like more information, please go to www.leisureseekers.com.au.